0: Chapter two, But it really was about men, and I decided that I would go along with the theme that they gave me, which is really about marriage and about the family. So I want to talk about marriage and family this morning, and so we're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture. Again, I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another... Out of your reverence for Christ, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is a head of the wife as Christ is ahead head of the church, his body, of which he is a Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit themselves to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave him up, himself up for her. May God bless the reading of His Word and. Let's pray together. Lord, as I share this message, I'm asking that you would just help me to be simple, plain, straightforward, right where we're at in our lives. Not above us, not below us, but where the rubber meets the road. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. I want to start off with a story that I heard this last week. But I heard about this senior citizen that was doing 100 miles per hour. He was in a brand new Corvette convertible. Brand new Corvette convertible. And he was doing 100 miles per hour when all of a sudden he saw a red light behind him. Now, instead of slowing down, this scared him, and so he increased his speed, and he got up to about 120, 130 miles an hour, when all of a sudden he came to a census. And so the policeman, the highway patrol pulled in right behind him and basically came up to his window, and the elderly person said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, sir, I'm so sorry, officer. I didn't realize how fast I was really going. And when I saw the, the red light behind me, I just sped up. It just, it, I just floored it. I don't know what possessed me. I don't know what got a hold of me. The highway patrolman said, Sir, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I get off at 4.30. And if you can give me one good reason that I've never heard before, not to give you a ticket, I won't give you a ticket. I'll let you off. So, this senior citizen going so fast along the highway said, Officer, after a minute of thinking about it, Officer, years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper, and I thought you were bringing her back to me. (laughs) And the officer said, Have a great weekend. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, the, the, the statistics are out there, and I don't have to tell you the statistics. Ninety-six percent of all Americans will get married, and over fifty percent of those people that get married will end up in divorce. And some of you have gone through divorce, and you know what I'm talking about. It's a real tragedy. You wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy, would you, if you ever gone through a divorce. None of us set out, none of us think about ever, ever getting a divorce. We never think when we get married it's going to happen to us, but it, unfortunately it does happen. And did you know, according to studies and statistics, that 79% will remarry after getting divorced, and of those 79% who remarry, 44% will divorce again. 44%. 44%. Now, it's not a it's not a planned thing. It, it it's a surprise. And the question that I have for you this morning is, why is it? Why is it that so many marriages are dying, and how can we continue to have a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship? Well, I've got a topical message this morning, and I think that there are six key ingredients, six key ingredients to to build a lasting marriage. And the first one begins with the letter A. Each of these begin with the letter A, and the first is acceptance. Acceptance, and I want you to listen to what, it's, to what it says, and look in your message notes at Romans fifteen seven. Accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now Scripture indicates that we are to accept one another. We are not to accept sin. We're not to accept any type of abusive behavior. But we are to accept the differences between a man and a woman, and there are differences between men and women. And did you know that we are to accept the differences in that particular person that you married? Because they have a unique personality, and you have a unique personality. And we are, all of us, are a little bit idiosyncratic. We have some strange ways about us. And the Bible says, who me? (laughs) It thinks a lot, Bill. Who me? And we are to accept those idiosyncratic personality quirks and flaws of one another. It doesn't mean that you can't say, honey, would you please do this? Would you please try to change? I'm not talking about that. But bottom line, when it comes to it, we are to accept one another. Now, did you know they've done all kinds of studies? And most of us marry people that are the exact opposite of us. Did you know that? Most of us marry people that are the exact opposite of us. Opposites attract, but opposites also attack. And this is what somebody has said. And unfortunately, those things that attracted you at first to your mate, when you live with them 24 hours a day, they irritate you after a while. And and I, and I honestly think that God has a real sense of humor because he does put opposites together. And think about it, This world would be a boring place. We have a, a knife and we have a fork, but we don't have two forks and we don't have two knives. You're just the opposite. Now, for example, one of you loves to talk. One of you has the gift of gab and you would just continue to talk and talk and talk And the other, when it comes to talking, you're kind of like a bump on the log. You're just really super quiet, and there's nothing wrong with that. One of you is kind of deaf and dumb. One of you... (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) One one of you loves to spend money. The other one's a tightwad. You know what I'm saying? One of you is, is on time. The other is never on time. One of you is very, very down to earth. The other one is a real uptight person all the time. You know, I I got a schedule I got to keep. And these are differences. And, And one of you is impulsive and daring, and the other perhaps is cautious and reserved. One of you is very decisive. One of you makes decisions immediately. The other looks at a menu for 15 minutes. Are you married to a person like that? Don't raise your hand. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, is the Bible says that we are to accept one another and we are to accept the differences of one another. Would you agree with that? We are to accept the differences of one another, not sin, not, not, not uh, abusive behavior, but we are to accept the basic differences of one another. And that will give you a long ways to go in your marriage when you understand that your mate is totally different than you are. They're totally different between men and women and totally different personalities that we marry. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we uh, we tend to attract people that are different than us. I want you to look at uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 13. This is what the scripture says. It says, stop what? Stop judging each other. So without acceptance, what will begin to happen is, is that you begin to nag your mate and you will try, and we're going to talk about this later, you'll try to change them. How many of you know who Ruth Bell Graham is? Billy Graham's wife. She said that she was raised in a very conservative Presbyterian church. Her father was a medical doctor that became a medical missionary. Whenever she heard the sermon preached in this conservative Presbyterian church she grew up in, it was very, very laid back. It was very biblical, it was very uh, intellectual. She met Billy Graham. His mom and dad were farmers, very little education. Billy Graham came from the Southern Baptist Church. He was raised where a minister, if he was preaching, would raise his voice to a hundred decibels or louder. He was fiery in your face, confrontational. And she said that when they were first married, it drove her crazy, absolutely nuts. But she came to the conclusion, she came to the conclusion, and she said this, my job is to love Billy, and it's God's job to change him. Now you think about that. We're we're to accept one another. And, and and you've got a basic personality there, and, and you've got to realize that they've got basic personality, and you can't you just cannot change. You have to accept them. The second key ingredient I see is attention, attention, attention. Now, we all need attention, and First 1 Peter 122 is a word to husbands. The, here's a word to husbands. It says, uh, love one another deeply from the heart. It, it's a word to both men and women, but it especially applies to husbands. Over 16 times in the Bible it says, Love one another, love one another, love one another. Now, what does that mean? How do you spell love? A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N. Attention. When you were a little kid, what would you say? Watch me, Daddy. Watch me, Mommy. And I want to suggest to you that we still need that attention, although it comes in different ways. It often comes in the way, the vehicles that people drive, the plaque on their walls, the, the, the homes they live in, But we still need gobs and gobs of attention, especially from our spouse. Now, do you remember how much attention you got when you were dating? I'm assuming you got a lot because most people do. Compare that to now. It's absolutely ridiculous. You were totally absorbed in that person, and you were unaware of what else was going on. Have you ever been to a park, a large park in a a larger city or larger community, And you see couples walking around. You can always tell, typically, who the couples are that are married and the couples that aren't married. Because the couples that are married, they're enamored with each other, if not physically, at least face-to-face talking, touching, hugging. They're just absolutely engrossed with one another. What happens over a period of time? Unfortunately, this goes by the wayside. Instead of becoming enamored and entangled with one another, we kind of are like porcupines and we push each other away. But the opposite... The opposite of love is not hate. Did you know the opposite of love is apathy? Apathy. The worst form of rejection is to be totally ignored and we need all need attention. And here's the word to husbands. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7, husbands, be considerate of your wives and that means pay them Attention. And the reason why Peter writes this to husbands is because wives typically do pay more attention to their husbands than husbands do their wives. And they, thank you. Hey, I like that. All the ladies say amen. <laughs> That's great. Now, when you look at the original language here, it means to make a case study of. It means to observe your wives underneath a microscope. In other words, you're you're finding out what makes them tick. What are their goals? What are their dreams? What are their aspirations? What are their fears? Husbands, pay attention to your wives. Um, You remember the story about the lady that came to the attorney a number of years ago. And she said, I want to divorce my husband. But I don't want to just divorce him. I want to hurt him as bad as he has ignored me for such a long time and as bad as he has hurt me over these years. The attorney said, go back, and I have a great idea. This is what I want you to do. While I'm preparing the papers, I want you to compliment him every single day. Tell him how, what a great person he is, how good he is, and, and how much you appreciate him. Build him up. Tell him, uh, do all these things. And then when I get the papers all prepared, after he has fallen in love with you again, then drop him like a hot red potato, and that will really hurt him. A month later, a month later, she called back and said, cancel the divorce. We both have fallen in love again. There is something about focused attention, complimenting, spending time, that reinvigorates and that recreates and that sparks that uh, relationship and that romance all over again. Somebody has said that attention and complimenting is like some sort of aphrodisiac. I don't know what they're, if that's true or not, but that's what somebody has said. So we're talking about, we're talking about uh, attention. A- and the third thing I see here is as far as building a healthy relationship with our spouse and maintaining those, uh, those uh, marital fires is adjustment. Adjustment. We need to adjust to each other. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. This is a scripture that we got through reading earlier. And notice it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Now, that means mutual adjusting. Mutual adjusting. Submission means adjust to. It says, submit to one another. Now, doesn't the Bible say that husbands are to be the spiritual leaders of? Of the home. Yes, that's very true. And doesn't the Bible say that the wives are to follow their husband's leadership? Yes, it does. And doesn't it say that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church? Yes, it does. But it also says at the very beginning of that particular passage, it says submit to one another. When the wife follows the husband's leadership, it doesn't mean that she does all the adjusting. Amen, ladies? It doesn't mean that she does all of the adjusting. There is mutual adjusting. There is mutual submitting to one another. There is a place for compromise. You both give in sometimes. And the problem is is that often we get so busy trying to change our mates that we don't have time to look at what we need to change. What happens is we say things like, well, after we're married, I'll change her. After we're married, uh, I'll change him. And then we enter into this kind of a development program for our spouse where we institute on a, on a regular basis, you know, forced change, manipulative change. Again, there's nothing wrong with saying, I wish you would do this. But there's, that's a different, different than manipulating and forcing the issue and nagging and complaining and, and whining and all of those things that often spouses do. To one another. So when we get married, uh, we want to we want to have this adjustment. I I I was reading a while back that Better Homes and Gardens uh, they did a survey a while back, and they surveyed 300,000 marriages in the United States, and they asked the question, Why do marriages fail? And the number one reason given was immaturity, immaturity. And the number two reason given was selfishness. Immaturity and selfishness. Those two common words are commonly described as incompatibility. I hear people say all the time, we're just so incompatible. We're just so incompatible. No, you're not. You're selfish and you're immature. You're not incompatible. Archibald Hart, a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary in Marriage and Family, said if couples were truly incompatible, every single couple is incompatible and every single couple would be divorced. There are all kinds of so-called incompatibilities, but the bottom line is it's often selfishness and immaturity. A fellow pastor said, um, the, night that we, the night before we got married, my father-in-law took me aside. And he said to me, most marriages have five areas of conflict. Money, sexual intimacy, in-laws, communication, and children. And then he said, my father-in-law was a prophet. We batted 1,000 on all of those particular areas. Conflict. Conflict can destroy marriage. And this leads me... Number four, number four, and I call this amnesty. Another word for amnesty is what forgiveness. Forgiveness. How many of you would agree that in your marriage there it takes an awful lot of forgiveness? Raise your hand, would you agree? It takes an awful lot of forgiveness because you blow it, your mate blows it, you say things. You do things, they say things, and they do things, and we need an awful lot of forgiveness. One guy said, we have a beef and stew relationship. I beef and she stews. (laughs) And I think that's true. And did you know that resentment will kill your marriage quicker than anything else? Resentment, bitterness, it will kill your marriage, a lack of forgiveness, quicker than anything else because everybody hurts each other. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's unintentionally. But the fact is, is that when you live in close proximity to somebody, you're going to hurt them. And you have, you can do two things with that hurt. You can rehearse it. You can go over it, over it and over it and become a bitter person. You can rehearse it. We've all been there, right? Rehearse it over and over again, become bitter. Or you can release it and you can let it go. You can rehearse it, or you can release it. And those are always the two options that we have when it comes to forgiveness. What do you tend to resent in your marriage? Maybe you re, maybe you resent the fact that that your spouse is not that not responsible. Maybe you resent the fact that um, your spouse is really messy, and they don't clean up after themselves. And maybe you resent the fact that your spouse... Uh, does a lot of traveling, and you, you don't get as much, to do as much traveling. Maybe you resent the fact that your spouse doesn't listen to you. Maybe you resent the fact that they're insensitive to the sexual needs that you might have. The fact is, is that resentment always hurts the person who is resentful more than the person that they're resenting. Did you know that? The person that is resentful is always hurting more themselves than the person that they're resenting. It's like throwing a boomerang because you throw it out there and it comes back. Well, what do you do? Remember it hurts you more. Remember that God has forgiven you. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Notice what it says. It says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's the key. You have to forgive and understand how much the Lord has forgiven you in order to be a gracious and forgiving person. Do you guys remember that, that story uh, about the 93-year-old man that went to a doctor? He went to a doctor, this 93-year-old man, and he, because he wasn't feeling well. And uh, a few days later, the doctor saw him at the park with this beautiful young lady just a gorgeous young lady. And the doctor saw this 93-year-old man. He was absolutely beaming. And he said, you're feeling a lot better, aren't you? And this elderly man said, yes, doctor, absolutely. I'm just taking your orders. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you've got a heart murmur, be careful. (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 corny, I know. <laughs> now, we, we laugh at that because we, we know how easy it is to misinterpret and we know how easy it is to miscommunicate. It is so difficult. And in such moments, we need to give grace. We need to give grace, unmerited favor. That's what it means, grace, unmerited favor. We need to forgive forgiveness on a regular basis, on a daily basis, on an hour-by-hour hour basis. I, I tell you, I, I feel like I'm a blockhead because I don't learn things that I should learn years ago. I feel like I am always I go forward and then I have to back up. I go forward and then I have to back up. I, I'm in this process just like you are. I say things I don't mean I do things I don't mean, but it hurts my wife, it hurts my spouse, and so I have to constantly say, please forgive me, please forgive me. I am so sorry. I'm just a lunkhead. I just don't get it sometimes. Well, I've had people um, say to me over the years, I just can't do it. And and I say, you have to. You just have to. You have to forgive. The fifth fifth ingredient I see is what we call appreciation. And this is encouragement, appreciation. And I want you to look at First Thessalonians first chapter five, verse eleven, and notice what it says. It says, "Therefore, encourage encourage one another. We are to accept one another, we're to submit to one another, we're to forgive one another, we're to encourage one another, and we're to build each other up." Notice the second part of that verse. Just as in fact you are doing, everybody needs appreciation. Everybody needs a pat on the back. And the power of praise is awesome. Somebody has said it is much more effective praise and encouragement than nagging. Somebody has said don't give pokes, give strokes. Don't nag brag. What does it mean to appreciate? It means to raise up in value. You know, when a home depreciates, it goes down in value. And when you begin to purposely, intensely encourage your spouse, the value of that relationship goes up. It appreciates in value. It blossoms. Um, In fact, appreciation is a powerful, powerful tool in marriage because it does three things. It, It raises your mate's value. Number two, it raises your own value. And number three, it raises the value of the relationship. Acceptance is when you say, I accept you despite your faults. Adjustment says, I'm willing to change, I'm willing to meet you halfway, I'm willing to make an effort, I'm willing to work my part. But appreciation says, I not only accept you, but I find things in you that I like. I find things that are good, I find things that are significant. Now, if your marriage is dull, you may be practicing the first three or four. But I guarantee that your marriage will get beyond dull and get some sizzle and spark back in it if you exercise this fifth one, which is appreciation. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you something, ladies. What you don't understand about your husbands is that literally he can face a whole herd of elephants and he can face all kinds of problems as long as he knows that you are in his corner patting him on the back, appreciating him, and expressing that to him on a regular basis. You need it too, ladies. But there's something with a man, uh, that his the way he's formed, that more than all of his buddies in the world, more than his work associates, when you value him and appreciate him, you're the number one person in his life. And it's just absolutely amazing what a man will do when he gets regular appreciation from his spouse. Now, how often should you appreciate... Well, look at that passage of Scripture there. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says, encourage one another, what? See it? Encourage one another daily. Daily. And I think that this should be the minimum, minimum. There should be a lot more of this, but this is the minimum daily requirement for every single marriage, at least one major compliment every single day. At least one. Now, some of you are going to have to be pretty creative in coming up with that one compliment a day. I'm only joking. You may have to think things up, but look for ways to be creative and appreciative. One lady I read about a number of years ago, she always made a bag lunch for her husband that was a school teacher. And in this bag lunch every day, She would always put a word of encouragement or a word of advice or some sort of scripture, whatever it may be. And one particular day, a fellow teacher in the lunchroom noticed him reading a note that he pulled out from his brown bag. And uh, she said, does your wife always write you a note in your lunch? And he said, yes, yes, she does. They asked to read it. One of the things that his wife had written on the love note that day, was be kind to your students and co-workers today. A little encouragement. After the worker friend read the note, she said, you guys have a good marriage, don't you? He said, yeah. She said, is your wife a Christian too? He said, yeah. You guys go to church every Sunday? Yes, we do. It sure makes a difference. And then she said, you're one of the lucky ones. When you raise... The value of your mate, when you raise the value of your mate, it's not only good for them, it's a testimony to the world. It's a Christian witness. The Bible says that a husband and wife, their love for each other, is to be examples of God's love for us. It teaches that in Ephesians chapter 5, the passage that I read. It's a good witness when husbands and wives are encouraging one another and are in love with one another and they are... uh, Uh, submitting and, and, and appreciating and all these things. What should you appreciate? Bottom line. What should you appreciate? I'm kind of being kind of funny when I say this, but I'm really serious too. Number one. The fact is that they've stuck with you. That they've stuck with you. For some of you, that's a major accomplishment. They put up with you and they didn't walk out and number 2 at least you can appreciate their effort whether it's up to your standards or not at least they made an effort it's like the bride it's like the bride who bring who um uh, who brings dinner to her husband honey my two specialties are meatballs and peach pies and the appreciative husband said and which one is this darling <laughs> He appreciated the effort, right? Don't nag, brag. Don't poke, give strokes. We're talking about encouragement. If you want God's will for your marriage, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Notice, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. It is God's will in everything. Be appreciative and give thanks. That's God's will. Now, there's a sixth ingredient, and this is affection. This is affection. I talk about this subject about about once every 10 months or so in our church. I've talked about it two other times. I guess it's about once every seven or eight months. Did you know that the church hardly ever talks about this subject? For some people, it's gross. The world talks about this way too much, and it's their God. God, gross, but the Bible says it's a gift. It's a gift. I'm talking about the physical expression of love in your marriage. Now, there's a lot more to affection than just the sexual event. We're talking about the whole environment of hugs and notes and kisses and talking and sharing and being kind. And that doesn't always have to lead to the event. Romans chapter 16, 16 says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Listen to what I'm going to share. As food is to your body's health, touching and tenderness and contact is to the emotions. It's an indispensable for emotional health and marital health. And I know some marriages that are dying of malnutrition because they just don't touch each other anymore. And I want to go on here, and I want to look at First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to that particular passage of Scripture. It may be on the overhead, I'm not sure, but First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul's advice about sexual intimacy. He says some very, very interesting things here that are contemporary and very surprising. Look at verses 3 through 5. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Notice, do not deprive each other. He's talking about sexual relationships, sexual intimacy, except by mutual consent, and then only for a brief time, so that you can devote yourselves to prayer, Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I could spend hours upon this particular passage of Scripture. I don't have time, but I want to share three observations this morning from this particular passage of Scripture. Number one, sexual intimacy is a legitimate need. It is a legitimate need. It is not to be ignored. It is a vital part of our relationship. If you're married, it should be a vital part of your relationship. Number two, it is for mutual benefit. Mutual benefit. It's both for the husband and the wife. The Bible says the wife doesn't own her body by herself, but when she married, she gave up part of that right. Likewise, when the husband married his wife, he gave up part of his right to his own body. It is a mutual benefit, and either spouse may initiate it. And number three, This is what often people are surprised with. It is a spiritual responsibility. It is a spiritual responsibility. If you're married, your sexual life and intimacy with your spouse is a spiritual responsibility. I believe the Bible teaches that if you avoid this and deny it, unless you totally agree, and there are some couples that totally agree, and this is fine, If you avoid it and deny it, you are bringing all kinds of possible consequences in your marriage that the devil can try to get a hold of. This is what the Apostle Paul says right here. So you don't deny it. It is a spiritual responsibility. And God says that should be a part of your life, just like an offering, just like a witness, just like worshiping. It's a part of your spiritual responsibility. Let's go on. what is it that makes a christian marriage you can both be christians and not have a christian marriage you didn't know that you can both be christians and not have a christian marriage what is it that makes a christian marriage a christian marriage is a marriage where number 1 they follow the teachings of jesus christ and the bible They follow the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible. They love one another. They accept one another. They submit to one another. They encourage one another, and they show affection for one another. And number two, it is where the spirit of Jesus Christ is invited to be present and resonant in that relationship. And all of what we're talking about this morning, all of these subjects, whether it's sexual intimacy, whether it's submitting to one another, whether it's encouraging one another, whether it's forgiving to one another, all of these things can be summarized in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Each of you should not only look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And that passage of Scripture says, have the attitude of Jesus Christ. We're talking about not selfishness. We're talking about servanthood. The bottom line is, if we treat our spouse the way Jesus would, that's what it means to have a Christian marriage. You put this all together, Pastor Ron, here. Okay, I will. If you're willing to do this and have the kind of relationship uh, you'll have the kind of relationship that I've gotten here in a couple letters, and I want you to listen to what a couple people wrote. One husband of 33 years married wrote, This is just uh, great. I-, I love the warm times. When we first wake up in the morning, even now when we're in our fifties and sixties, I feel the same soft love I did when we were first married. But most of all, when we're enjoying a good time together and my wife is really laughing outside and inside, I can still see the lovely young girl that I married. A nice person she is and was, smiling through her face. That's as sexy as anybody can get after 33 years. Here's another one from this wife who has also been married even longer than that. It's a surprise uh, macho thing. That's what this lady writes. It's a surprise macho thing Swinging me off my feet, giving me his jacket so I won't get cold. But it goes beyond romance to raw physicality. I may flinch when he squeezes my knee, but I'm glad he still does. I may chide him for suggestive talk, but I secretly relish it. Laughing can be sexy, talking, intellect can be sexy. The sexiest thing of all is privacy. This is what this lady writes. Like, like Rhett Butler carrying Scarlett up the stairs, we don't have stairs, but still we have that sacred mystery. One man, one woman, committed in a monogamous relationship, loving, submitting, encouraging, exhorting. And you know, most of you know, if you've been married a long time, what I'm talking about. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. How about acceptance? Have you accepted your mate completely? Are you,